Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Well, today I'm going to continue this three-week series. The title of it is Generous Living, focusing on the topic of what? Stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. What does stewardship mean? It means honoring God with our time, our abilities, and our finance. How that plays out is giving back to God a portion of what he's already given us. That's what stewardship is. It's giving back to the Lord what he's already bestowed upon us. That means surrendering who we are and what we have to who? The Lord. Viewing ourselves, I brought out last week as caretakers, stewards of not our property, but God's property. It all belongs to him. Somebody say amen. Amen. And that is how we define stewardship. And a good steward is one who opens the door for the miracle of multiplication by their obedience. Did you hear me? A good steward is one who opens the door for the miracle of of multiplication. So let me ask this question. How many of you have a desire for God to multiply your time, your abilities, and your finance? With this in mind, we're going to continue by looking at the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. The apostle Paul says to the church of Galatia, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Here's three words I don't want you to forget. All seeds grow. Did you hear me? Every seed you plant, all seeds, they grow. That's why it's important to examine your seed. Make sure you take a moment to process what kind of harvest is this seed that I'm about to release. What kind of results, what kind of harvest is it going to yield? Because when we ask that question, then we can really assess how we will prepare for our harvest. And that's what I want to title today's message, Prepare for Your Harvest. Holy Spirit, anoint this word, anoint your servant. Lord, anoint your people here in this auditorium and those worshiping and watching online. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation That, Lord, they would not only perceive this word and understand it, but they would embrace it and allow this seed to take root and bear good fruit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's already done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul says in our text, he begins by saying, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Whatever means whatever. Sometimes maybe as a parent, or with an individual, an employee, whatever, you have an interface with, with, with that person. 
And in the process, when you say, listen, this is the way it needs to be. How many of you have ever experienced the response, whatever, whatever? That's not how Paul is applying it here. What he is saying, whatever, whatever we take, whatever we release, that becomes seed. That becomes something that's going to yield a harvest, good or bad. It's a seed. And that's why he says, whatever, good or bad, a man, a person, a woman, whatever they sow is also going to yield a harvest. They're going to reap that. Your whatever can be a blessing, right? Thank God when we plant good seed. Amen? But we also have to look at the counterpart. Your whatever can also be, my first point, a curse. Galatians 6, 8 says, for he who sows to the flesh. Listen, the flesh is not a good thing if it's left untamed, if it's left unfiltered, if it's left unrestrained. Paul says, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now, to understand what the flesh is, a lot of people, they hear this term, but doctrinally and theologically, they don't understand the proper usage of this term. The flesh consists, biblically, of two dynamics. Two dynamics. First, our flesh becomes our appetite for nutrition, right? Our flesh craves food. Sometimes food, nutrition, can be a driving force. And the other aspect, the other appetite of our flesh is sexuality. They are both God-given. Who gave us the desire to consume food and nutrition? God. Who gave us the desire of our sexual appetites? God himself. That's why God even commanded to the nation of Israel when he began to build a people, to build a nation. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He was talking about human reproduction. You can't build a nation without people. Somebody say amen. amen. So they are the two appetites of our flesh that God has given us. They're ordained of God. They're good. They're not wrong. But what takes and motivates our flesh? And that's where our five senses come into play. The sense of hearing, seeing, smelling, taste, and touch. Isn't it amazing how a billboard can stimulate your desire to eat? Especially if it's around that dinner time. Have you ever been in your backyard and your neighbor is grilling steaks or other, you know, wonderful delicacies on the grill and the aroma, the wind blows just the right way and the aroma comes into your backyard and what does that affect you or how does it affect you? You become hungry all because of what you smell. One of our five senses. The same thing with what we hear. One person can say, man, I'm hungry. Then all of a sudden it causes you to think about that. What you hear, yeah, I'm hungry too. Other appetites, when you look at, at the feeding of those, you taste something. It's no accident when you walk through a grocery store or an area, Costco or BJ's, and they will have little stations where they want you to sample one of their products. They'll open it up. They'll have it cooked. They'll have it prepared, however. And then they say, would you like a sample? The immediate response is, 
Sure, why not? And when you taste that one sample, if it relates with your taste buds in a positive sense, you buy it. Where can I get this? Right here, right behind me. How does that affect you? What you taste affects your decision. And then what you touch. There are some things, you look at it, you touch it, I want nothing to do with it. I remember years ago, Cindy and I were having uh, dinner with uh, my brother, his wife, and a few other friends in Baltimore, and they brought out snails, escargot. Well, I looked at it, but the determining factor was when I touched it. Well, pastor, there's the mistake you made. You never touch your food. I'm sorry. I failed the test. I did touch. And based on that touch, the smell was great. It was smothered in garlic and, and other herbs. But when I touched it, it changed my whole desire. I'm good. I'm good. Here, you can have the rest. You see how our five senses affect our desire for nutrition, for food. And the same thing with sexuality. Again, what we see, smell, taste, touch, or hear can stimulate our five senses, stimulate our God-given. Everybody say God-given. Our God-given appetites. So those who sow to the flesh, if they're governed by their senses and their appetites, it can really play out bad for them. Look at Esau, the brother of Jacob. He lost his birthright because of food. Look at Samson. He lost his anointing because of sex. Both men chose to satisfy their God-given, say it again, God-given. They chose to satisfy their God-given appetites, but they sowed that seed the wrong way. And as a result, both men reaped a harvest that they prepared for. Because of a bad decision, one lost his birthright, another lost the anointing and the power of God in his life. A wrong decision, sowing the wrong seed, brought a curse. That's why the seed you sow is up to you. Did you know that? Both seeds are available. God has provided the good seed. And obviously the enemy always has his substitute, his counterpart, his challenge to God. And so there's seed that appeals to our flesh when we eliminate God. Even when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Remember he had been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights? Hadn't eaten. What was the first temptation Satan brought against our Lord? Turn these stones to bread. He appealed to the appetite of what? Nutrition, food. He was hungry. And Satan tried to bring his substitute. Sometimes people say, what would have been so wrong if he changed the stones to bread? How is that a sin? Well, the key is, who was making the suggestion determines good or bad. The father had not released him yet from that fast. So Satan wanted to break the authority, the effects of that obedience that fast. And had Jesus listened to the wrong voice, any other voice than the voice of God is the wrong voice. And had he listened, had he submitted, had he obeyed, 
then that would have been sin because the one giving the command, providing the suggestion, which in turn was a temptation, was the kingdom of darkness, Satan, not the kingdom of light, God Almighty himself. So again, the seed we sow, it's up to us. We choose whether that for blessing or that in the long run, which will yield a curse. Look at Achan in the Old Testament. How many remember that name? He was a gentleman that was a part of the nation of Israel. Now here they are 40 years later. Moses had led them to the banks of the Jordan River. And because of fear, they disobeyed. And the generation that disobeyed the command of God to go in and inhabit the land. That generation had to die off. And then the next generation was positioned, the sons and daughters of that previous generation. And here they are now. Moses is in the presence of God. And and Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. They're standing at the banks of the Jordan River. And then they cross over. And just as the Red Sea had parted for the Israelites when they escaped, you know, the tyranny and the bondage of Egypt, and they went through the Red Sea on dry ground, Scripture says, now here they cross through the Jordan River. And supernaturally, just as God parted the Red Sea, he parted the Jordan River. They cross through on dry ground. That should be a confidence builder in and of itself. My goodness, God is with us. They come to the first challenge, the city of Jericho. God says, the city's yours, but you do things my way. They were commanded that they would go around the city for seven days, one time, and remain silent. Then on the seventh day, the first fruits, the first day of the week, They're commanded to go around it not once, but seven times, silent for the first six. And then after the seventh, they're to shout unto God, sound the trumpet, which were ram's horns, break pots, and make a great noise of praise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Make a grateful noise. And they did that. That was God's battle strategy. Then God also said, after I give you the city, every other city that follows, you can have the spoil to share amongst the people. But because this is the first fruit, this is the first step in taking the land, all of the spoil from Jericho belongs to me. It's my tithe. So they all understood. No one was to keep it, touch it, It was to be gathered together, and God would use that eventually in the constructing and the erecting of the temple. That was kept in the storehouse of God for future plans. So they go in, God brings a great victory. Just as God had prophesied and spoken by his word, they went around six times, no noise, the seventh day. They went seven times, and after the seventh time of circling the city, then they gave that great shout of praise. They broke the pots, they blew the trumpets, they clapped their hands, and the walls came down, and they went in and did not have one casualty. Then all of the spoil was collected and brought to Joshua, but there was a man by the name of Achan who when he saw some of the spoil, he coveted it. He said, my goodness, what I desire won't hurt. All of this other spoil that will be more than enough for God's plans and purposes. And so scripture brings out that he set aside a beautiful garment 
for himself. He hid it. Not only that, he took some of the silver and some of the gold, just a portion. That was his nest egg so that when he would retire, he'd have something to provide for, if you want to put it in modern terms. Well, all seemed well, and now God says the first city had been conquered, Jericho. Now they would go to another city that was extremely small in size. They didn't even send out all of the troops for this battle, just a few select fighters. And so they go into battle, and everyone's excited. God is with us. We saw how he parted the Jordan River. We saw how we won Jericho without one casualty. This indeed will be another magnificent victory for the Lord. So they go to battle, and then something happened that they didn't expect. They lost, and they not only lost, but they lost with great casualty. 36 Israelite soldiers were killed. Finally, they had to retreat from the city in failure, and they go back, and they have to assess what happened. Why did we lose this battle? What was it? Was God unfaithful? And the, the men of God there, the priests of God, the prophets of God spoke up their sin in the camp. And after petitioning the Lord, they went through every tribe, every tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they came to the tribe that Achan was a part of. Then they went through seeking God through the Urim and the Thummim. That was a stone, two stones. One was a yes stone, one was a no stone. Some say it was two different colored jewels. Some say it was just a simple black stone or a white stone for a yes or a no answer. But they went through every tribe of Israel, and, and, and the priest would reach down in the epod, and they would say, is it this family? No stone comes up. And it was no, 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 until they came to Achan. Then the yes stone came up. And finally, Achan, he confesses his sin. But because he sowed the wrong seed, not only did it bring a great casualty on the nation of Israel, the people of God, but it also brought a great casualty in his own life. Scriptures bring out he was then executed, and not only he, but his entire family. Sometimes people say, well, my sin doesn't hurt anyone. That's, it's just about me. There is a rippling effect with every sin. There is always a casualty. Sin never remains behind closed doors if undealt with. We need to bring our sins as Christians now to the foot of the cross so that the blood of Jesus can stop that harvest that could eventually bring tremendous casualty, not only to our lives like with Achan, but to our families and those around us. We see this in the life of Achan. So I need to ask this question. How is your harvest affecting you? Those of you worshiping, watching online, how is your harvest affecting you? And even those close to you. See, we need to ask ourselves the question every time. The seed I am about to sow with my time, my abilities, my finance, my words, is it going to affect in a negative fashion my life and even the lives of those I hold dearest and close to my heart. That's a, that's a, a sobering thought to look at the curse that comes 
with bad seed. But then there's good seed. How many of you are interested in good seed this morning? How many of you watching online, you're interested in good seed? Well, when we sow good seed, Scripture says, Paul brings out, it will produce, I love this word, blessing. Amen. Everybody say blessing. We're all into blessing this morning. I know I am. When God is blessed, guess what happens? We get blessed. And even those around us are blessed as well. You know, when you're promoted on the job, it brings more finance into your home. Not only does it bless you, but it blesses your household. For those with a family, your children, it blesses your kids. You can bring them more opportunity, enroll them maybe in different sports and outside school functions and social functions. They can learn how to do gymnastics. They can get tutoring to be even that much more sharper with their intellect. There's much you can do when you're blessed with additional finance. In addition, a good increase that comes when we honor God with the right seed is blessing. Paul affirms this in our text. In verse 8, he says, He who sows to the Spirit, capital S, good seed always stimulates and blesses the Holy Spirit. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, sometimes people think, well, I'll just be able to go home and be with Jesus. It's bigger than that. It's not just about our eternal dwelling place, but it's about a blessing that will never cease to yield positive fruit. Did you hear me? Do you know when you take and eat an apple at the store, that apple was planted by what? A seed, an apple seed. Isn't it astounding how in the seed of an apple, if you open that up and look at the core, there are multiple additional seeds. Why is that so? Because God has Bless that good seed of an apple so it can constantly replenish. It can reproduce. Then with one seed, you get multiple seed. There's a return so that you can plant more trees and increase the return and the size of your orchard. And that's the same principle when he says everlasting. Paul brings out and says everlasting life. That means God is going to continue on and on and on to reproduce from that good seed something that's going to produce life. The word that is used there for life, Paul uses, is the word zoe. That means life in the fullness, life for your body, for your soul, your spirit. In other words, your whole being, how God created you, created us, created man and male and female gender. It will bring blessing to our total being. So yes, thank God, we can have the blessing and the security of knowing we'll spend our eternity in the kingdom of heaven. But God says, even right now, you can have an eternal blessing. If you'll honor me with all that I've entrusted, you'll be a good steward. See yourself as a caretaker, not assuming ownership of what you have, but assuming responsibility to handle properly and righteously what you have for my divine purposes, and as a result, I will give you increase that will go on and on eternal life. I will bring life, Zoe, to that seed, and during your lifespan, you will see the prosperity and the blessing and the provision of my hand, all because you've been a good steward and you've planted good seed. How many of you want to be a good steward? How many of you want to plant good seed? 
My goodness, in a day and age when the world just seems to be spiraling out of control, evil is increasing. I don't know. Forget the news stations. You can just look at life in general. Things are not getting better. They're getting worse. Why? Because the caretakers on this earth are not taking good care of what God has entrusted. Now decisions are made for selfish ambitions, aspirations, personal agendas. You know, people are interested in what kind of money can I personally realize in order to establish my kingdom on earth. Everyone is selfish driven. And the more that seed is sown, the more those around and surrounding are negatively impacted by that seed. But when we as human beings, when we understand every gift I'm given, my talents, my abilities, my ability to be a leader, the finance I have, my abilities in the arts with music and, and other respective areas, my abilities with technology, yes, I can find a job and make a living with those things. And I can provide for my daily needs with those things. But the main purpose I have them is not just to keep it all about me, but so that I can advance the kingdom of God. God can take a part of me and bring others to Christ and grow others in Christ because I was willing to give back my first fruits, my time, my abilities, and my financial blessings. You see, when we understand that, that's good seed. Then everything you give back, God says, oh, got to bless it. It's my word. How many of you believe God always honors his word? Do you really believe he honors his word? Then sow your seed. People that have doubt and unbelief, they'll hear a message like this, but then they still won't act on that message. But when we really believe God has given us his promise, given us his word, even when it's hard, we will still step out by faith and honor him. And honestly, like I brought out last week with, with the widow and her son who had nothing. They were in the midst of the famine. And there they only had enough, that woman only had enough flour or meal and oil to make one little small cake. Then they were going to eat it, speaking they, her son, and herself. And then die because there was no more provision. When God sent his prophet Elijah to that house and he said, feed me. She, God was giving her an opportunity, an opportunity for her to sow a seed that would bring her eternal blessing, eternal life, everlasting life. What do you mean everlasting life? Like I just said, he would multiply that seed and that seed would be used so that her daily needs until that famine came to an end, God multiplied that oil, God multiplied that meal. And she was supernaturally and her son sustained when others around her were dying and failing because she was faithful to give to God. She sowed good seed like that apple with multiple seeds. She got a multiple return. That's just the word of the Lord. That's the laws of reciprocities. Reciprocity, the law of sowing and reaping. And it applies to every aspect of our lives. You know, before I became a preacher, I was a professional musician. And do you know, before I came to Christ, I was a good musician. But after I came to the Lord, he touched and blessed my gifts to where I believe I excelled more than I ever would have before I knew the Lord. Why? Because then when I began to give back my musical gifts to the Lord himself, the one who gave them to me, 
He blessed them. He multiplied them. He increased them. I remember after I got saved, I was originally a, a percussionist, a drummer. And I could play piano, but, but, I, but I couldn't really, you know, sing and play and didn't really have melody for writing songs. And then when it came to being a percussionist, a drummer, I couldn't sing and play on my instrument at the same time. Then I remember after I got saved, I asked God to give me the gift of music, that he would place his hand of multiplication and blessing upon it. And do you know right after that, then all of the former musicians that played in our top 40 band through that Baltimore, Washington arena, we began to share our faith with them. They got saved, and we started one of the first contemporary Christian rock bands in the nation. And then God opened wonderful, miraculous doors. We were playing at festivals and other events with the biggest names in the Christian music industry. And something else I believe even more significant happened. From the time I asked God for the gift of music, all of a sudden I had an ability to be able to play my instrument. And when you're on drums, you know, Denny will tell you, Mark Daniels, others that play in our church worship team, you're using your left, your right foot, your left, your right hand. Everything is motion, forth in motion. Four things being used at the same time for different purposes. And then to add a vocal line on top of that, very challenging. And God, when I gave my gift, I said, Lord, you give this gift to me, I'll give it back to you. He supernaturally, he made me a better musician. When you give your business skills, your, your leadership skills, when you give them to God for his purposes, get involved, lead a team in the church, lead a Bible study in the church, do whatever, serve in the aspects of team and ministry. When you give that to the Lord, he will make you a better leader on the job. When you give whatever you have, your finance, he will multiply and even grant you greater wisdom on how to use the finance that's been entrusted into your care, just like the parable of the talents, and God will multiply it and trust you with more. When people hoard, when they hold on, when they make their decisions, whether selfishness or fear, fear will take and paralyze you. It'll paralyze you with your time. It'll paralyze you with your finance. It'll paralyze you with your gifts and abilities. Fear will say, no, what if this happens? What if that happens? But when we stand against it and say, Lord, you know. How many of you believe God knows this morning? He knows the beginning. He knows the in-between. He knows the end. And when we stand against fear and we say, Lord, whatever you require of me, I don't own me. You own me. Everything I have, I'm a caretaker for your kingdom. And when we see ourselves that way, then fear no longer reigns and rules in our life. But faith, and faith always brings blessing, even on the seed you sow. Amen. How many want that kind of a harvest? When you do that, you're preparing for your harvest. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look at Joseph. He was sold into slavery. But yet he was obedient even during the most difficult times of his life. When he was under the care of Potiphar and his household, he was a good steward. He learned how to be a caretaker for God by first learning how to be a caretaker for those who were in authority over him. Then he's accused of something he didn't do, being inappropriate with Potiphar's wife. Then he was thrown into prison 
But even in the prison, he learned how to submit and to be a caretaker with someone else's possession, someone else's responsibilities. But he managed well all that was placed in his care, in his hands. Then without warning, what happened? God supernaturally elevated him. And when he was elevated, he went from being a slave in the prison of Egypt to then, after interpreting the dreams and bringing wisdom and direction to Pharaoh, he became the second most powerful man in all of the world at that time. Egypt was the dominant superpower in the world at that time. And he was elevated to become once a prisoner and now a prince in the courts of Pharaoh. All because he learned faithfulness, stewardship, how to be a caretaker with someone else's possessions. And even when he was elevated in Egypt to the second most powerful man, he still understood that principle. He knew that everything that was released into his hands was not for his own purposes, but for the purposes of God. What did God do? Because Joseph was elevated to that place in Egypt. When the famine that Satan sent, not God, Satan sent, could have taken and wiped out his father, his brothers, his family, which would have wiped out the plan of God to bring a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior one day. You destroy the Jews, you remove the promise of a Messiah from the line of the Jewish people. Satan was attacking God's plan, but because Joseph was a good steward, because he was a good caretaker, because he honored God, he knew when he had nothing, and for all of his life, after being sold into slavery, he had nothing until he entered the courts of Egypt. And then, yes, there was blessing that he retained in his own family for his children, and there were benefits that they enjoyed. But Joseph never forgot who the source of all of it came from. See, that's stewardship. That's when we understand our purposes. And because of it, a great harvest took place. You'll find that good seed, it benefits you, it benefits others, and then it honors God. That's why we need to sow the right seed. How many of you desire a harvest from seed that's going to bring this kind of blessing, not only into your life, but your children, your children's children, and generation and generations to follow until the Lord Jesus returns. If you want this kind of harvest, it's waiting for you. If you'll make the right, my closing point, choice. Some of you may be asking, is there hope for someone who's been sowing the wrong seed in the wrong place? Is there hope for my life? I, I look at all of the harvests I've had up to this point, and I've sown some really bad seed, Pastor. I, I've made some really bad decisions, and it's affected not only me, it's affected my family. Can I ever recover from that? Is there a way of escape from that? Well, if you feel like you have overstepped your bounds and time is running out for your life, my word to you regarding is there a way of escape, the answer is yes. And the reason I say yes is because your harvest in the past was based upon the seed you sowed. But repentance, everybody say repentance. Yeah. 
when we truly repent, do you know what the outcome of that is? Do you know what repentance does to your harvest? It becomes the weed killer to break down and to stop that harvest. How many of you have ever used Roundup on the unwanting vegetation that grows on your property? Well, when we repent, the blood of Jesus Christ becomes our spiritual Roundup to kill and to stop that harvest from all of the bad seed we've sown and all of the effects that it's brought. Repentance will stop that continued reciprocity of fruit from bad seed, that curse. When we repent, it will stop and begin to halt all of the outcome that you had been going through. And then when you choose to stop sowing the bad seed, remember, everything is about choice, and you start sowing good seed, you begin to honor God, you begin to walk by faith, then the new seed that you plant will produce a harvest of blessing. But it all goes back to what? Choice. Joshua tells us this in chapter 24, verse 15. He says what? Choose this day whom you will serve. See, we either serve ourselves and our personal agendas. We react to our emotions, our fears, our selfishness. Or we serve God, which is a grander and a greater purpose. Everything goes back to choice. We choose the seed. We can't control the harvest, but we do choose the seed. And when we sow the right seed, righteous seed, God will take care of the harvest. When we sow bad seed, Satan takes care of that harvest. And there is a harvest. There is a reaping. But when we sow good seed, when we honor God, some of you might be saying, I just feel this in the Holy Spirit, whether in this auditorium or someone watching online. Well, Pastor, I have sown good seed and, I'm, and, and nothing's changing for me. You don't control when the harvest comes, but God says, if you faint not, you will reap. There is a harvest. Joseph went 13 years as a prisoner and as a slave, but his harvest came. Hallelujah. Do you think it was worth Joseph waiting and being faithful for 13 years. Well, when you measure that in light of the harvest it brought, and then the blessing, not only for himself, but the plans of God, the purposes of God through the nation of Israel could continue, it was worth it. I'm sure when he stepped into the kingdom of heaven, he heard from our Lord himself, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When his prosperity came, he was blessed the remainder of his days. And he counted all joy that he was able to suffer and be faithful and then see the fruit of his harvest and then the joy. Amen? You're no different than Joseph. God has a plan. He has a purpose for you. But you need to choose who you'll serve. You need to make the choice. What seed? Will I sow? Praise the Lord. The prodigal son, he was an individual that made a lot of mistakes. Took everything he had, left his father's home, left his father's covering. Thought he knew best. He began to sow a lot of bad seed. 
And when that seed began to come into harvest, he lost everything. He lost his inheritance. He was destitute. He was eating the leftovers of the pigs. Any of you who have ever worked on a farm, pigs are fed slop. How many? That is literally a term. Slop it on. You've heard that idiom. But it actually comes from how they reference the food that is fed to the pigs. It's, it's repulsive what the pigs will eat. Slop. Only he wasn't allowed, the prodigal, to eat the slop of the pigs. After the pigs were done with the slop, he then could go and finish out where the mouths of those hogs had been and eat up the remainder of their food. It doesn't get any lower than that. He had lost it all took all of the blessing that was there because of his father and squandered it because of bad seed. Did his life end in the pit? Did it end in poverty? No, he chose repentance. Remember, repentance will bring an end to that harvest from all of the bad seed and it will establish the opportunity for you then to play out good choices so good seed, so the Lord can bless you. It will bring a stop to all of the curse that had followed to that point, and the love of God will cover, Scripture says, a multitude, a multitude of sin. He went to his father. Scripture says when he was yet a great distance off, he saw his father, and, or his father saw him, ran to him, kissed him, and welcomed him back. He was restored all because of repentance. And Scripture does not record any negativity from that prodigal once he returned with a broken and a contrite heart, repentant and wanting to sow good seed, to use what God had given him now for his purposes, a greater purpose, not the approval of people and, and, and not self-absorbed living, but for a greater purpose, to honor God. Aren't you grateful for that parable of the prodigal that Jesus brought? That brings hope to us because not everyone has made all the right choices. And some, when they're nearing the other side of the finish line, knowing that there's not many years accounted for any longer in their lives, they say, how could I ever recapture? How could I ever rebuild? How could things ever change? With God, all things are possible. And how many of you, again, believe he honors his word? About one of you, I think. How many of you believe he honors his word? Come on, let me hear it. Then you take him at his word, and you become the steward, the caretaker he has destined you to be. You see, it's easy to thank God when things are great. But when we know, even when it's difficult, if we can continue to honor him, he has promised to bless us. That it's going to work for our good. And most importantly, the good of God's kingdom. That's what Paul's emphasizing in Romans 8, 28, when he says all things work together for good to those who love God. Well, we know the good things work for good, right? But even the difficult things, God will bring glory to his name, and he will bring a testimony to us through the difficult times. God is not going to leave us destitute if we continue as good stewards, good caretakers of what he's given us. No matter what phase of life we're in. Well, I'm older now. We need to allow the 
younger folk to step up and, and take care of things, take the rain. Well, they need to be stepping up as well. Amen. But until we draw our last breath, God says we serve usefulness. There is a purpose. There is a plan. There is something he will entrust in our hands to do. You see, there is life after failure, but this life is determined by the seed you sow. Amen? Choice. Everything is choice. What kind of harvest are you preparing for? Because the seed we're sowing is the preparation for our harvest. Your seed determines your harvest. In closing, I need to say this. It's time to make the right choice. No one is beyond God's restoration. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, that is that principle of stopping that negative harvest from bad seed so that God can begin to honor the new seed that we begin to sow in the field of our life so that our lives can serve a usefulness, serve a divine purpose for the kingdom of heaven. There is a harvest of blessing waiting for you. There is. That's what we see in Galatians 6, 9. Paul says, and let us not grow weary while we're doing good. In other words, you're not waiting. You're active. You're still doing good. You're still sowing seed. You're relentless. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will. Not we might. Or not what we should, and not what we could reap, but he says, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we faint not or don't lose heart. I'm going to challenge everyone here online and in this auditorium. Give the Lord. Give him your time. Give him your abilities. Give him your finance. Give him your desires. And give him your dreams. Give him your whole heart. Isn't that part of the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. If we're not giving back to him what he's given to us, what he's required from us, what he's asked from us, then we are not loving him with our whole heart. He may have a part of it, but he doesn't have our whole heart. What husband, what wife in this auditorium would want to hear their spouse say to them, I love you with most of my heart. I love you with all of my heart except this area of it. We either love with our whole heart or we don't love them at all. I love you with my whole heart. How many of you have ever said that? To your children, you say, I love you with my whole heart. I love you. And God desires that from us. God is a giver. How many believe that? John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God is a giver. And the more passionate you become for him, the more you will become like him. Where? In your giving of your time, your abilities, your finance. God always blesses what we place in his hands. Just like the boy with the loaves and fishes. I brought that out last week. Whatever the Lord touches multiplies. It multiplies. Let God touch everything that he has entrusted into your care. You are a steward. You are a caretaker of God's property. It's time to prepare for your harvest. Amen.
How many are ready to start sowing good seed? It's time to prepare for your harvest. Let's all stand. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you. It is a determining factor of failure or success. It is the determining factor of lack or plenty. Lord, I thank you that this seed that I have released, your word, I thank you that it has fallen on good ground. And I pray, Lord God, for an extra measure of faith that all who have heard this word would choose wisely. And they would choose to begin to see themselves as your steward, your caretaker, and sowing the seed of all that you've entrusted into their care. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for the promise of your word. I thank you, Lord, for a turnaround moment. I thank you for increase in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open these altars as Pastor Josh and the worship team close us out. I want to open these altars for you just to come and just say, Lord, I choose to love you with my whole heart. How many of you want to love them with your whole heart? Just come and just say. And you say, well, why can't I do that in my seat? It's embarrassing if I, if I do it in front of people. First, when the altar time starts, the live stream is shut off. So there is never live stream during any of our services once we come to the altar. So you're not standing in front of the world. You're just standing in front of God. Second, I have always found, and that's why Jesus did this, in all of his ministry and the apostles and the Christian leaders after that followed the same model. Whenever he called people to a decision, he called them publicly. It, it, it defined that, that, that commitment that they were making. And so when we come, just like when two individuals get married, they, they, they take and they define that commitment in front of their family and friends. And when we define a commitment as God is speaking to us about a certain area of our lives, when we respond and just bring it to the altar without anyone else hearing the details of that response, but you're making a definitive response saying, yes, Lord, then what you're doing is allowing God to make that a monumental moment in your life that you will never forget. And every time in the aspect of stewardship, you may be challenged by other priorities you'll remember that monumental moment when you said, like Joshua, choose you this day who you will serve. And what was Joshua's response? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.